Rise, a program featured on KDUR and hosted by Shanta out of Durango, Colorado. Rise is about bringing together thought leaders and disruptors focused on creating lasting change around extreme poverty in rural communities. My name's Wade Griffith, and along with Mark Matowski, we'll be your hosts. Thanks for tuning in and learning more about proven solutions to address global poverty. Our attitude is one of audacious optimism, and we hope you'll join us in thinking about how we can all work together to make a difference in the lives of the people who are suffering the most. Together, we can wipe out extreme poverty around the world. You can access this episode and more information about Shanta's work at shantafoundation.org. Now let me introduce you to my co-host, Mark Matowski. Hey, Wade. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. I'm super excited about this. And uh, I know this is our pilot episode, and I know we've been talking about this for quite a while. Um, So I just want to say thanks to you and, and of course, our friends here at KDUR, but also all of you out there listening. Um, So as Wade said, my name is Mark Mastalski, and uh, I am an independent educational consultant. Uh, But the reason um, that I'm on here uh, is that I'm also a member of the board of Shanta, and I've been a part of Shanta uh, since 2019. Uh, and I just love the work, you know, that Wade and, and all the great people at Shanta do. And I'm excited as, you know, as part of this podcast to really, or a part of this program to really talk about the great things that are happening out there, not just with our organization, but with other people who are, you know, really leading the charge uh, in, like we said, creating lasting change around extreme poverty. It's great to be here with you as well, and I want to thank you for having this idea. We've been wrestling with ways to get proven solutions to extreme poverty out there and to share those ideas and to bring in thought leaders and to break down the silos that keep implementers from working together, cross-pollinate the best approaches to eliminating extreme poverty. And you had this great idea of a radio program. Yeah that we could do and we could bring people in and we could share ideas with thought leaders, disruptors, implementers, but also people that partner with us in the villages. Right. There's so many different stakeholders in this. It could be funders, it could be thought leaders, it could be implementers, it could be partners in the villages who have seen this done poorly Mm -hmm. and seen this (laughs) done well. Which we know is out there, right? Oh my gosh. So yeah, yeah, it's out there so much. That's why we want to do this. And in fact, I'll just throw this out there that before COVID, the United Nations documented that global hunger was getting worse despite the billions, maybe trillions of dollars being thrown at the problem by governments, religious organizations, secular NGOs, It's getting worse. And then you throw in COVID, you throw in the war in Ukraine and how that's affected world food supplies. Mm -hmm. And you know the situation is much worse. But people doing this work don't seem to talk to each other Mm -hmm. because they're afraid of losing donors or or something. And so we're not doing near as much good as we could do. And and I just want to also throw in there before I kick it back to you how grateful I am to KDUR and to Fort Lewis College for allowing us to share this with the world and to hopefully elevate the discussion around global poverty and proven solutions to global poverty. It's a real treat to partner with KDUR in this way. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And um, with that, I mean, I'm excited that as as we build out this program, uh, you know, this show isn't about the two of us. Right. Um, as you mentioned, we hope to really bring in 
um, you know, everything from donors to other people that are uh, running, you know, international aid organizations and NGOs and so forth, and hopefully the people that are being impacted, you know, directly through the work. But but that's going to come later down the road. Right. So I'll tell you what, let's start, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, so can you tell our audience, I mean, where, who are you? Where do you come from? Um, and we'll get into some really great details about why you got into this work, but what, what should we first know about you, Wade? All right. So you recognize the redneck, (laughs) uh, accent probably is not from Colorado. I am from Alabama, but thankful to be living in Colorado, a wonderful place and moved my family out here during the pandemic because I'd been looking for an organization that was doing this in a way that wasn't just compassionately motivated, but rationally guided Mm -hmm. and really focused on empirical results and focused on decolonizing the philanthropic space, which even today is still very colonial in a sense Mm -hmm. that you have the global north dictating solutions to the global south. And the people that profit on those efforts are the CEOs, executive directors, et cetera, et cetera, of these global north organizations uh, that I think still oftentimes operate out of a white savior complex right. and aren't focused on empowering local people to be sovereign over their own lives and their own communities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm passionate about that. I'd never seen an organization anywhere doing it in a way that I felt like was not only empirically proven, but also ethically sound. I discovered Shanta and picked up my family, <laughs> moved them out here, and here we are. And it's been a treat yeah. these last almost three years working with Shanta. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and um, I know uh, you're listening to this, so the audience, you can't see it, but you can. I know that Wade is passionate because not only in his voice, but his hands were flying. <laughs> when, when he was talking about this, his hands were, were moving uh, uh, throughout the air. So he, he definitely uh, brings a, a, an amazing level of passion uh, to the work. And also just uh, not just passion, but uh, empathy, compassion, and intelligence, and and wit. I think all those things together uh, really do make make a difference. So thank so thanks for that. So um, Wade, why? What was it about? You you mentioned that you you relocated family. Let, let's talk about them just a little bit. What okay. what does family mean to you? Who who's in your family? All right, thank you for asking. My wife Julia moved out here with me. She's from Mississippi, so us being from the Deep South, you know, that probably wasn't where Shanta was focusing their search <laughs> for an executive director. But we moved out here with our two boys who are now in middle school in Durango, Colorado. They don't want to move home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still catch ourselves saying home and referring to the South, but right. increasingly we feel like this is home. And we found in Shanta, we found a real family of like-minded individuals who want to compassionately and rationally make a difference in the world. But just throughout Durango, we've found a great place and so many people who want to get involved in this work and strike a blow against global poverty, which to me just translates to human suffering. We're Mm -hmm. talking about meaningless suffering. Right. And there is meaningful suffering. If you ever go to the gym and work out, that's, <laughs> that's dieting. You know, there, there are things that are meaningful suffering, right. but what drives me is the vast amounts of meaningless suffering 
that we should really be about and all of us should be about and not just doing it in a way that generates good pictures for Facebook, but that in a way that we know is reducing that suffering and increasing people's sense of dignity and mm-hmm. agency. And, yeah. and that's really at the heart of Shanta. Mm-hmm. And there's other organizations out there that are doing that in this way or that. And man, I want to shine a light on those organizations and right. learn from them. And maybe they'll yeah. learn from us and, and get these ideas kind of percolating together to hopefully enhance one another. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, those things that you mentioned, I mean, really that comes from uh, the importance of being authentic. And you mentioned it's not just us being authentic, it's doing the work that is authentic to the people, right, that that are being impacted and um, to, to serve themselves and so forth. So uh, that's awesome. So let's, uh, should we just kind of talk a little bit about you? You've already mentioned the word empirical. Uh, right. And so what does that mean to you when you say, you know, w- what is innovative and empirically tested approaches? What, what does that mean to you? Right. Well, I cut my teeth doing this work in Latin America in a religious organization. And so much of the work was really about the feel good of the people funding it or the feel good of the people doing it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about measuring results in a way that, okay, what was the situation of poverty when we got there? What were the activities we did? What was the situation of poverty when we left? And did that impact sustain 5, 10, 15 years down the road? None of that was done because that isn't sexy and exciting. Mm -hmm. And people don't you know, post on their Facebook page, I collected baseline data in a remote (laughs) village. No, they they want a picture with children, holding children, doing for the children probably what the local people could do, but Mm -hmm. they want a picture with impoverished children a lot of times. And and I want to say quickly, I've done that. I've posted that picture. Any of these criticisms, first and foremost, are leveled at me. And from that, I learned that by going back, to Nicaragua probably 30, 32, 33 times over a period of years. Mm. So much of the work that we did and the others were doing was either abandoned or defunct in a short period of time. It didn't last, in other words. It wasn't a lasting Not sustainable. Idea. Yeah. Not sustainable. And we were doing four. Um, you know, a way that, that you could put this that I got from a great book called The Blue Sweater was we showed up with gifts rather than helping people discover Mm. their own gifts. Right. I love that. That's a great way to say it. And, you know, there's a lot of, why do we do that? Well, we like the feeling of giving gifts. Um, And it's quick and dirty. I mean, I could get some money from some friends, show up, hand things out. Sure. Everybody smiles and is happy. Get the pictures. Get the pictures, Mm -hmm. go home. But changing the reality of a economic system or being a piece of that altering the reality of a, of a complex, interconnected economic system mm-hmm. is messy, takes time. You're guaranteed to fail. You can fail forward, but you have to be a lot more committed than just going down there for a good experience. You right. have to be in it to win it over the long term. And so that led me to learn, you know, start trying to learn from some other implementers who seem to to know something. I didn't know anything. I just wanted to 
to make a difference. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But we just can't stop there because what happens is that inadvertently we cause harm a lot of times. Let me mm-hmm. just give a quick example from yeah, Nicaragua. Please do. When Hurricane Hugo hit Nicaragua, it wasn't Hugo now that I think about it. It's, it was a different, I'll, I'll come up with the name here in a minute. We'll look it up. But a significant hurricane hit Nicaragua, I think in the 80s, and devastated the whole country. I mean, beyond anything, beyond even like Katrina in the United States. And U.S. organizations, secular church, government, all rallied to the cause. And that's, there's no way you can critique that. I mean, that's genuine altruism. So container ships full of clothing arrived in Nicaragua, filled probably largely with T-shirts of the losing Super Bowl team. I was team, just you know? going <laughs> to say the losing football like, you know, yeah, the, Super the Bowl team. College right? you know, championship losing team, the, the yeah. Super Bowl losing team, the World Series baseball. And you still see those shirts everywhere uh, in Latin America. And anyway, you could just show up and get a bunch of clothing and, and – for people who don't have clothing, man, that that sounds good. That's mm-hmm. Maslow's hierarchy. I mean, that's at the very bottom, right. safety and security. Safety and security. So <clears throat> yep. what those churches and secular groups didn't take into account is that there was a there had been a thriving garment industry in Nicaragua. There were people that grew cotton. There were people that wove fabric. There were people that stitched clothing. And there were right. people that sold clothing. Mm-hmm. And if you're a poor person in Nicaragua, are you going to – save up some money and purchase those goods, or are you going to go down to where the container ship is? Where, where they're handing them out. Clothes. Mm-hmm. So what we did was cause a major market uh, distortion that ended up displacing a lot of people out of their jobs, be it as farmers or farm workers, or be it as people doing piecework in garment mills or people selling those. We right. destroyed their jobs. Yeah. The so instead of going, so in other words, instead of going down there and working with the locals who already have the skills and ability, and say, how can we, how can we help you in this area, right? Of your own, of your recovery, it was let's send a ship with a bunch of. Yeah, I don't t-shirts. think there was any conversation with the yeah, recipients. It just happened. It was like we want to do something. This is what we want to do, and deal with it, you right. know. But as a alternative, it could have been. Now, and again, this takes more time. This is more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't like, like that. But finding the people there that are making clothing right. and trying to build their capacity to address the issue mm-hmm. or uh, from other Latin American countries that weren't hit as hard, um, that would have been perhaps a better approach or a both-and approach. But in some way, not destroying jobs in the name of addressing poverty because right. it's jobs – Typically, that is your best solution to poverty, not a handout. So that's just a good example of how good intentions aren't good enough. You know, I can't say that enough. Mm-hmm. And that you have to have some mechanism. In our field, we call it M&E, you know, measure and evaluate what you're doing, starting with some baseline data and then looking at the end of the project. And then if you're interested in sustainability, is it still going on years down the road? You have to look at that stuff if you really care about moving the needle. It can't just be good intentions. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you've mentioned a little bit, right, This the, the really important is developing uh, solutions, creating solutions that are sustainable and authentic uh, to the, you know, the communities that you're working with. They should be community led. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about what is a community-led approach? What what does that mean? What does that look like to you and, and maybe the model that you work with in Shanta? Well, I think most NGOs that I've encountered are INGOs. What does that mean? Non-governmental organization or international non-governmental organization. Everything has to be an acronym in this field. I don't know why. If you're in the military or in philanthropy, everything. They're might. everywhere. And if I you don't work, use those, everybody thinks you're an idiot. I was so. going to say, I worked in higher ed for 22 years. There's plenty of acronyms. Yeah. You, you have to have that or people just dismiss you as being you know, uh, some sort of person that doesn't know anything about it. Yeah, outsider. It. Yeah, an yeah. Outsider. So it's, it's kind of sad that, that we all get kind of co-opted into that. But anyway, um, so... Most NGOs or INGOs that I've encountered have a prescript, you know, kind of a prescription for poverty. Like they have a, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a doctor and you had a problem and you're, you're thinking surgery maybe and, and the doctor may be trying to dissuade you from surgery. And I can remember just being at a doctor and, and, and say, well, should I get a consult from the surgeon? And he goes, well, you know, for surgeons, the answer to everything is surgery. <laughs> right. And he says, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Everything looks like a nail. Right? Sure. And so I love that for some reason because it, it really speaks to the lens that we all bring to how we engage the world and, and presuppositions that we have based on our social location, our education, our training, whatever it may be. And I think a lot of NGOs have a pretty dogmatic view of, well, if you if everyone would just do this, then we could solve this. Right. We and have the it, answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If everybody would just do this, or the key <laughs> is this. And and so there's no humility in that, and there's no curiosity. And I, hmm. I, I hope that in every program that we do together, Mark, that those two words will come up. Absolutely. Humility and curiosity, because those are the defining attitudinal values, I think, of Shanta that that rather than telling everybody they need to address poverty the way we do, I wouldn't do that because there's other great models out there. But everyone could come to it with humility and curiosity. There'd be less silos. We could learn from each other and we could all be more effective. I think that a lot of NGOs have their idea of the thing the thing that needs to happen. Well, you just gotta dig a well for water. Oh, you just gotta build a school, you know, this or that. And it's not community-led because they're coming in and telling the villagers what they need to do. And it perpetuates and deepens probably a sense of less than self-worth. That may, that's kind of a clumsy way of saying it. But it, it undermines the confidence and the sense of self-worth mm-hmm. of people when you say, you don't know what you need. Right. I know what you need. I'm white. I'm from America. I've got the answers. Mm-hmm. And that really discourages action. Right. Because that says, well, we should just wait for a white American. Yeah, to, to come, come in and come in and take care of us. Save fix us, us save yeah. us. And that's really sad because the people that know the context are the people that live in the context, always and everywhere. Right. And some joker myself showing up and saying, hey, you need to do this. Um, Here's the answer. That's just, that's criminally arrogant and really hurts people, I believe, and and undermines their sense of agency, undermines their motivation, undermines their self-confidence, I think is mm, corrosive to their self-dignity. Yeah. 
Definitely. And so community-led would be coming alongside and saying to a villager, tell me about your village. Tell me about your situation. What, what's going right? What's going wrong? Yeah. What do you think is, is not going well? Why, and they give you some answers. Well, why do you think it's like that? And not kind of hiding the ball because you secretly know. Mm-hmm. That's really unethical, <laughs> I think, to just – that's dishonest. Right. But Definitely. but coming with genuine humility and curiosity of, of like, I don't know this context and there's going to be things that I could never guess that are going on here. And I could tell lots of stories of that. One of those is kind of the founding story of, of Shanta that led us to this place of humility and curiosity by getting it wrong from the get-go, which was really a wonderful thing for us to say, hey, we don't have the answers, but we do have curiosity. And we do want to be in solidarity with you. Yeah. And we can walk this path together. Right, right. Why don't we do that? Um, we won't be able to get, I think, get too far of a deep dive, but Shanta is a relatively small organization, but it's impactful. Uh, and can you just give kind of the, the birth story? Like, how did Shanta come about? And maybe right now, where, where is Shanta doing its work? Right. So this will set up a future program where we'll absolutely interview the founders. Yeah, we'll do a deeper dive. Amazing. Yeah. Mike and Tricia Carpen and they continue to be mentors and inspiration to me and the organization and I contact them all the time for <laughs> advice. But they were traveling in Myanmar. This is the birthplace of Shanta and the Shanta story and they traveled around with a tour guide and at the end of that they were saying their goodbyes and thank you for showing us your country and he said with humility but with some confidence well i'm glad you enjoyed it but you really haven't seen the country you haven't seen our country you've you've seen what the government wants you to see Mm -hmm. and i'm glad you enjoyed it but you haven't seen the real myanmar and being intrepid uh worldly adventurous people they did not like that answer at all they were (laughs) They were like, what do you mean? Yeah. You know, they they are really savvy people, and they wanted to see the real thing. They are smart people. They care about people. They're driven by relationships and compassion and impact. And so they said, hey, we'll take the time. Can you show us the real Myanmar? Right. And he took them way beyond the end of the road to his own village where people are living in what we would certainly consider abject poverty and bamboo huts and they were the first Caucasians to ever go into that village. Oh, wow. And it was very difficult right. to get there. And so people stream out of their huts and want to touch them. And, <laughs> of course, Mike's really tall, and the people there aren't. And they, these big white giants come walking in, and they want to touch them. And everybody wants to drag them into their home because that's <laughs> hospitality in Myanmar. You have right. to come in my home. Everybody's, it's like a tug-of-war with them trying to get – who's going to get them into their home? And, and they were just overwhelmed by the love of the people, so much so that they didn't really see – what was right behind that love and hospitality? Was it till yeah. the next day they're like, they looked around, they're like, holy moly, look at how these people are living. Right. And started asking some questions and realized there's no school, there's no clean water, there's no access to health care, zero infrastructure, the housing is, is inadequate, people eking out a living out of the soil the way they have for generations, if not hundreds of years, growing the same crop in the same dirt, which a lot of people know is generally yields a reducing yield. So they, as good Americans, said, we got to do something. They wanted to build a school. They built, they came home, raised some money, built the school. 
And that's a very American approach. And, the, and, you know, because they also just felt great compassion for the children. And education is a huge driver of change. Right. But when they went back to check on things later, a couple of years later, that it, it wasn't what they'd hoped. Mm-hmm. The school was almost empty. Mm. And, and they were like, wow, where is everybody? And they started asking questions. Right. And I'm not going to answer all those questions today. Right. Yes. But where Future were, episodes. Where were the kids? Yeah, where are they? You know, why aren't they in this brand new school? And then they started seeing a hidden reality of poverty, of the complexity and interconnectedness of different aspects of poverty that make poverty not a symptom, but really a system. And that kind of, wow, that didn't work, led to questions, humility, curiosity. That was really the founding experience of Shanta. Yeah. Wow. That's a cliffhanger right there. That is a cliffhanger. In the business, we call that a cliffhanger. (laughs) And uh, I just want to let everybody know that's what we call that, you know, kind of let you in on the lingo that we use. But where were the kids? You know, they hadn't disappeared. They hadn't been abducted by aliens. Where were they? (laughs) And the answer to that is a huge insight into Mm. the real nature Mm. of poverty and why most poverty interventions don't work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when and like you said, we're going to get deeper into this because our podcast, you know, isn't just our program isn't just talking about um, you know, poverty as as a problem, but also investigating, digging into solutions uh and how we can uh, you know, really look at extreme, you know, poverty through the lens of let's uh we can all be a part of of a solution making it a better place. Let me recap just some of the things that we hope to do in the coming episodes that I think will be exciting. They're exciting for me. Anybody who cares about global poverty, I think you'll find this to be really intriguing and thought-provoking. But as I said earlier, we definitely want to share innovative and empirically tested approaches to extreme poverty in rural villages. We also want to nudge international development efforts towards sustainability, towards a community-led approach, towards decolonizing the philanthropic efforts of the global north. We want to gather thought leaders to cross-pollinate ideas and tear down the silos so that we can all learn from each other. And also, we want to elevate the visibility of organizations, implementers, and models that are doing this great. Absolutely. We have one approach, but for example, our approach isn't for urban settings or peri-urban settings. And there's other great implementers out there in rural settings that we know that I want to bring in so that we can learn from them and elevate their visibility. But most importantly of all to me is that we audaciously are optimistic about the idea that we can reduce or eliminate extreme poverty. We are believers in that, that we've seen it happen in Myanmar. Uh, We'll talk some other time down the road about how we're expanding into Zambia, but we know it can be done. Right. We just have to harness the resources in an approach that's not just compassionate, but that is also rationally driven. And so it's going to be a wild ride. We're going to get to talk to a lot of interesting people and hear a lot of stories of failure and a lot of stories <laughs> of success and a lot of... There, bump- isn't, there <laughs> isn't one without the other, Yeah, right? yeah. Stumping you, our toes, yeah. a lot of silly mistakes, and, and hopefully we can all learn and, and grow together, not only in our motivation, but in the effectiveness of our approach. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Wade. Uh, I'm excited for what we're going from here. And I'll tell you, as we close the program t- today, I'm going to go into the world being an audacious optimist. All right. Yes. Me too. We need to do that. And I want to thank KDUR. I just have to pause and say, what a cool place. When we approached them with this idea, 
because I do some fundraising, I was expecting a door to close. And uh, the amazing staff at KDUR was like, this is awesome. Let's do this. And we're like, how can we help you? How can we help you? That that was just so – I went home and was telling my wife, they're excited about this. <laughs> and she was like, they are? And I was like, yeah. So I just want to say a big thanks to them and thank you to you for listening to Rise, a program featured on KDUR and hosted by Shanta, specifically myself, Wade Griffith, and Mark Mostowski. We'd like to thank all of our guests, past and future, for not only coming on the show, but for creating lasting change in the world around extreme poverty. We're going to have great guests, so I hope you'll tune in for that. We'd also like to thank, again, the individuals at KDUR who are helping us put this together in Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, for providing their support and technical expertise. If you'd like a copy of this program or you'd like to hear more, you can visit our website, shantafoundation.org. We hope you'll tune in next month as we continue the conversation around global extreme poverty.